Welcome to Covenant Church's sermon discussion. This conversation happens most Wednesdays on Facebook Live between me, Michelle Lichty, the communication director at Covenant, and the preaching pastor from the previous Sunday. If you haven't already, I recommend listening to the sermon before listening to our discussion. Good afternoon. I'm Michelle Lichty, and I'm here with David Henderson. Hi, everybody. And we are here to discuss the sermon from this past Sunday, Come Together in Love, from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. And um, before we get started, David, I want to encourage anyone who is joining us or watching to please comment, please ask questions, please let us know what you're thinking, because that really enriches our discussion. So um, just an encouragement to you guys to be uh, participants in this discussion so that it's not just me and David or David and I, <laughs> David and me, like, okay, I'm live. Us. And so, yeah, thank you. I'm like, oh shoot, I'm being all grammatically incorrect and I can't stand it. <laughs> oh goodness. Um, so David, I, w- I have to say, when you first introduced Philippians, you talked about the three movements of the kingdom, and then you talked about um, keys. I don't remember how many there were. And then virtues, I think. Mm-hmm. I didn't write it all down, so I mm-hmm. don't remember exactly. But those words really made me think of a symphony. And I was wondering if that is was oh, deliberate really cool. on your part. Not at all. No, that didn't even occur to me. But what it, what actually what a great uh, what a great way to think about it. Uh, and and I actually yeah, uh, during the the start of second service before I started preaching, I or maybe it was at the end of the service, I asked us just to sing again the last stanza a cappella as a way after having just focused on who we are together as the people of God to just let us kind of. Um, be a metaphor of that together with our voices all coming together with such beauty. Mm-hmm. But no, I love that. I hadn't thought about it. That's a fun way to think about it. Yeah. And so today we're talking about the first movement, which is come together mm-hmm. in love. Um, and the Greek word koinonia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, which I grew up hearing about. And um, it just, it, it feels, it felt at least growing up a little nebulous, a little like, okay, what's the difference between koinonia and fellowship? And um, I thought you explained that. So can you go over that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the challenges where there are usually between Greek in which the New Testament is written in English, there are usually some pretty good overlaps where we have a word that's really close to what a Greek word is. And this is one where that just isn't the case. Hmm. And, and so people have tried finding different ways to get at it. So you just start talking about things like a partnership or membership, and then that takes away the intimacy dimension, or you start yeah. talking about a sharing and it takes away the sense of heart connection. It just sounds like it's the resources and that's not what it is. And, and fellowship is a word that's probably the closest one, but that's just kind of been gutted in meaning in English. It sounds like something related to the hall in the basement of the church that we met in in 1954. You know, it doesn't, uh, 
it doesn't have these really rich, vibrant associations for us. So actually, along those lines, if I could, I'd love to read mm -hmm. this. Um, I'm reading, where is it? Oh, it's down on my quiet time uh, chair. Um, I'm reading a wonderful book that's called A Testament of Devotion by Thomas R. Kelly. And, uh, oh, what a rich read. And he talks about um, kind of experiencing the presence of God and then he throughout the day. And then he talks about kind of what a life really given over to God looks like. But then the next chapter is on what he calls the blessed community. And so this is how it begins. He says, when we are drowned in the overwhelming seas of the love of God, we find ourselves in a new and particular relationship to a few of our fellow beings. The relationship is so surprising and so rich that we despair of finding a word glorious enough and weighty enough to name it. The word fellowship is discovered, but the word is pale and thin in comparison with the rich volume and luminous bulk and warmth of the experience which it would designate. For a new kind of life sharing and of love has arisen of which we had had only dim hints before. Are these the bonds of love which knit together the early Christians, the very warp and woof of the kingdom of God? In glad amazement and wonder, we enter upon a relationship which we had not known the world contained for the sons and daughters of men. Why should such bounty be given to unworthy ones like ourselves? Mm. Oh, isn't that powerful? That is. It's so rich. I have the benefit because you gave me a copy of this chapter yesterday, which happened to be sitting on my desk, of reading it with you as you read it out loud. Hmm. And the words are so rich. Like he doesn't just say fellowship. He, you know, it that word fellowship pales hmm. um, and is thin in comparison to the experience of it. And I wonder. Um, When we find this koinonia, this uh, affectionate friendship that's unlike anything else in this world, it's it's hard to describe. Yes. And it and it is it's it's kind of like that. Well, you'll know it when you experience kind of thing, which is so not helpful. That's right. Yeah, and I, it's interesting because I think that the word church is meant to evoke all those same ideas. Mm. And so for him picking words like rich versus thin and luminous and bulky and warm, you know, he's, he's out at the very edge of what language lets him try to describe of the wonder of what we are blessed to share together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the, with the word church and the word fellowship are so anemic as, as parts of our vocabulary. You know, it's a kind of church, it kind of, it's a word that kind of lurches out of us. You know, it doesn't come with, it's not something that spills out of us with joy. Mm -hmm. And I think it's meant to. Uh, I mean, I, that was one of the things that was really striking to me in going through Philippians so many times recently is it's just woven through with delight in one another's company. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what God means us to think of when we think of church or fellowship or koinonia, delight in one another's company. Yeah. And I think when we find it, we want to hold on to it really, really tightly. 
Mm. And, and, and it's painful mm. when that has to change. Mm. Like I'm just thinking of conversations I've had with people who are like, you know, all of my, all of my closest friends have left the area you know, our small group disbanded because three of the four families moved away or, you know, pick a number out of the air. And, and, and it's like, God is like releasing our grip on that because it's, and he's saying, it's not that I don't want you to have this kind of rich um, relationship. It's that it's time to include others who haven't experienced that yet yeah what i think what it's a really perceptive comment and it reminds me that the human heart it always is inclined towards idolatry which is just Mm. looking to something a little bit short of god to be for us and do for us what only god can be and do so what what is the church it is it is a people in the center of whom is God who defines what we have. And then what we tend to do is take the people and try to hold on to that particular configuration. It's like, you know, NFL was great when Peyton Manning was the quarterback of the Colts, but kind of <laughs> what's the point of watching football after that? No, no, it's the love of the game goes on. There are new teams, but the Colts still continue in some form. And it's kind of like that idea. What, what am I wed to or what have I attached my heart to? And this amazing, glorious, vibrant God who's in the middle of our fellowship keeps making it this rich experience that Thomas Kelly talks about and that, that Paul talks about. You know, it's the, even with the changeover of individuals, the, the koinonia remains so vibrant and, mm-hmm. and important. Yeah. And, I th- and then that, um, that, that, those relationships, I think almost, you know, and I could be wrong. <laughs> Tell me if I am. Um, form a foundation for the next gift of the koinonia that you brought out in your sermon, which is that gift of functional partnership. Like yeah. without those relationships, we can't partner together. And, you know, in this day and age, it's easy to think of the church as an institution, as yeah. this is the way it is, and it's very strict and fundamental or or you know just not. or even just organizational that right. it's just the yes. Thank you. thing instead of people yeah i yeah i think that that's right and and that's part of what makes you know and i went through this on sunday but to see again and again and again with such effusive and open-hearted language paul saying i love you you are such a joy to me i carry you around in my heart i long to see you um you know what would happen if we were that effusive in our expressions of our love and delight for one another, mm-hmm. then I think it lets this functional partnership part be as vibrant. Uh, I was just talking to somebody in the church a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about the longing he had to just find a couple of people who shared a missional heart that he had to engage in one particular thing in the community, kind of looking for a missional community. I thought, that's, boy, if you combine affection and purpose together, wow. That's... Yeah. And in fact, that's unstoppable. Yeah, that's right. And we're going to discover as we go a little bit further in Philippians, 
that that is the essence of Paul's definition of unity. It's being one in spirit and in purpose. And that comes about as we are open in our affection and intentional in our, in our shared ministry, our bringing our gifts, our resources, our time mm-hmm. forward and making them available for the sake of others. And it's not a false unity no. where everybody has to think the same way and do exactly. things the same way. Like that's the Stepford wives, like, right? Like that's <laughs> not, that is not unity. That's identical. <laughs> That's being identical. Right. Right. Um, it is a true unity, which the purpose remains the same, but our methods of getting there may be different. And that brings up the other gift, which is conflict. Yeah. Boy, that is so true. Let me just pause there before we hop into the friction and hardship part. Um, what you just said is so important. Like at, at, at our session meetings, we say, um, we, we believe that God calls us to unity, but the unity is not everybody in the, in the room has to agree with each other. It's a unity. It's not unanimity. It's not think, everybody thinking about things in the same way, but it's having Christ at the center. He is our common purpose. We're, we're all seeking the same spirit of God to lead us towards the, the ministry of the kingdom. And yeah, that's, that's unity that is not forged of our own insecurity or power of it's all got to look the same but it's unity that comes from our trust that god really is the living vibrant present shepherd of our church today not just two thousand years ago but today so it's it's a unity comes that comes from saying god you really are in charge and we really do look to you to lead yeah yeah exactly and to um and to lead us through this conflict right um, because if we all thought the same way, there's no conflict. If we all think yeah. the same way. If we all do things the same way, if we all look the same way, if then there's no conflict. Right. And, and the two of us who are in the church, who all, who all two of us think exactly the same, we love being in the church together until we disagree. You know, that's, that's what we're going to do. We'll just keep whittling down our, our koinonia becomes just, um, uh, identical mindedness, which is really different than the rich variety that God means for the church to, to be characterized by. Yeah. I was thinking about this as we came into the fall, there were some places where we had some conversations going on in the church where people were floored to discover that somebody else in the church was not a Trump supporter or was a Trump supporter or was a Republican or was a Democrat or what viewed race issues in this way or this way. And it was interesting that there was this kind of jittery reflex of, of um, kind of a mouse trap like clampdown of wait, isn't there only one way to see this as a Christian? Mm. And, and it was, it was um, hard for us to slow down a little bit at that point and to, to pause and realize, actually, you know, there's, we don't have the, the book of American political parties in the New Testament. There's not something that, that says, this is exactly how we should think about this. This is the only way to think about this as a devoted follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it is a little scary if we say the only thing we have in common is Jesus and our commitment to the authority of scripture, to Jesus as the living Lord of the church and to the missional work of the church together. 
wait, wait you mean we aren't also going to just kind of nail down a political position or agree together who we're going to vote on or or agree that there's really just this one way to think about racial tension in our country? No, th those are those are important things, but they aren't things spelled out for us in scripture. They're complex things and there are different legitimate different ways to think about those things. Yeah. One of the things that I really um, have appreciated just reading, I think I read it in a newspaper article, which was um, look for what you agree with. Like what is something I can agree with as I'm having this conversation and, and affirm that. That does not mean that I have to agree with 100% of what the other person is saying, but I need to, but but there is something that I can agree with. I can agree that everyone was created in the image of God and everyone has dignity and worth and value because of that. Um, I can, you know, like I can, and I think that's where the unity comes from is that agreement that Jesus is Lord with the, you know, the authority of the scriptures that I am submitting myself under God's authority and I am, you know, and so when, when conflict comes, it is painful, mm -hmm. right? Doesn't Proverbs say as iron sharpens iron, so yeah. one person sharpens another, you know, Ouch. if you think about ironing, sharpening yeah. iron, it's like it sparks fly and it's yeah. hard and it's painful. And it's like, ouch, something's being hammered, you know, it gets super painful and difficult. And without it, we don't grow. Right. Yeah, and I think, yeah, no, that is exactly right. So we'll go there in a sec, but I think what you just said is um, is so important. I just, I do think it is human nature for us to think the basis of our getting along well is if we have the same outlook. Mm. And what Jesus says is, no, the basis of our getting along well is if we have the same savior which is really different than having the same outlook. Mm -hmm. and, and if we are all committed to the authority of scripture and we all have the same Lord, the spirit will shape us more and more to kind of be looking, uh, um, having that one in spirit and in purpose thing. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so the freedom that I have to enter into a conversation with someone who has a very different view than I do is the freedom of, hey, I know Christ, you know Christ. We're both con committed to figuring out how the authority of scripture plays out in this very complicated, challenging uh, cultural situation. And we love each other and we don't need to let our disagreement have the last word on whether or not we can get along. Yeah, so to, the, to your point of how God uses friction. Yeah, that was the thing that was so striking to me as I thought about this, looking at that passage in chapter four, verses two and three, describing the conflict that Yodia and Syntyche had and Paul urging them, and what's fascinating is it's to have the same mind. What he encourages them to come to a place is, is wait, see, see these things that you and I were just talking about. See these in the same way, that Jesus is at the center, that he wants us to be united, that, that we, he wants us to be striving side by side, not striving with each other, contending with each other, but contending together side by side for the sake of the gospel. Mm -hmm. and, and then it was really striking to think what, no pun intended. What um, what is it? What does it take for those sweeter, subtler virtues to be worked into my life? Mm. 
mm. forbearance, patience, kindness, uh, deference, humility. Uh, you know, the all of those, each of those kind of um, clothed with the spirit, fruit of the spirit kind of things. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how those come about if we are not in community that we are committed to staying in and working it out. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's that staying in it. The, the monks had this vow of stability. Basically, it said, Brother James and Brother Bob, like it or not, we're stuck with each other until we die, you know, and God's going to use that much as we can't stand each other at times, God's going to use that to produce the likeness of Jesus in us. And I think the monastic communities understood something that the, that the current church in the United States really misses. Oh, yes. I, I mean, I've, I've pondered over, you know, occasionally over the years, like thinking back to when our society was not so mobile and, you know, and you live in rural Indiana and there's one church and everybody's going to the one church yeah. and you're in that community and everyone is in that community. And that is where you are. Like there's the option to move is, is pretty slim. Yeah. And so you're forced to stay there. And I think um, in our, yeah. in our society, it's just so easy to say, well, I'm in conflict. I don't agree. And so I'm going to go to the church down the road or across the river or here, you know, like, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to leave. And so then that short changes um, God's work in our life. Yes. Which is not to say that God never calls us to another fellowship, Thank but you. I think, yes. it, I think that call happens a lot less often than we think it does. And I think what happens is we, make an idol of our own positive experience within the church and then we use that well actually this is keeping me from growing in the way that i want to we frame mm -hmm. it as which is mm -hmm. ironic because it's just the opposite <laughs> um, often um, mm -hmm. and and so then we become consumers and we shop for a better and less friction-laden setting for us to mm -hmm. grow in the irony being that the very thing that will best produce our growth, that rock tumbling dynamic of friction and collision over time, mm -hmm. um, that gets removed. And, and so we don't, um, we, we don't ever live into the fullness of those sweeter and subtler virtues that I think really distinguish us as Christ-like people. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that God has worked on me, like through my marriage, through my um, relationships within the church bodies that I've been a part of is what do I have control over? Like what, is, what part of this is me and what part of this is I need to change my attitude. I need to change my outlook. Um, I need to change my response. And that is hard work. Yeah, yeah, because what you're what you're saying is, you know, the Amazon returns policy approach to uh, to fellowship, when I don't like this, so I'm going to return you and get another version of of you that fits me better or is more comfortable or suits me or whatever, um, that can so often have us missing the pause that God wants us to take and kind of, well, the, 
let, let's not focus on what God's doing in that other person's life. What is the work he's wanting to do in me and perhaps through that other person's life? So um, a story that uh, was really poignant in my own life. I, um, uh, I, I was, um, I'm going to keep this as vague as possible, just so there's no guessing of kind of where or when or all of that kind of stuff. But I was in a church um, and uh, had some pretty deep conflict with one of the elders. And I called uh, my dear friend, Danny Sharp in my covenant group. And, and I said, oh, Danny, this is so frustrating. It's so difficult. I can't, I, and what I really wanted Danny to do was to say, well, how dare that guy? I can't believe he's treating you like that. You want me to hop on a plane and come have a talk with him? You know, that kind of thing. And, and so there's a long pause. And Danny just said, oh, I can't believe this. I mean, just like, ah, that's not what I wanted to hear. He said, I, I wonder why God might have put him in your life. And as soon as he said it, it's like, ah, oh, that's exactly the perspective I need to have. Because it God had just put it on my heart to begin to pray for this person every day, to ask God's blessing on that person. So that my my concern was not how that person needed to change. And that gave me the freedom to begin to say, all right, what's the work you want to do in me, God? And it was so painful. But I look back on that and I think, I mean, Danny got it exactly right. It's just what you're saying. What, mm -hmm. Lord, what? okay, my heart's open, my life's open, what's the work you wanna do in me? I'm not gonna run. I'm willing to stay here and let you work this out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and, and there are like, so we've talked a lot about the, the sparks flying, the hard work, the pain of it all. What are some of the blessings? Yeah. Well, that kind of takes us back to where we started. And I, I think that is really, I mean, well, think about a marriage. Mm -hmm. You know, there's kind of the giddy stage and then there's the conflict enters in. And when that conflict enters in, it's easy to think all this has been lost. It's only ever going to be like this from now on. And then as time passes, you enter into these other stages of this uh, kind of sweetness of life together and a deeper acceptance of one another. And the conflict comes, but it also goes and it has a more proportionate place in the relationship. And God uses it to, to make us more like him and, and, more and, and more over time. It's not this kind of giddy infatuation in the first few months of a marriage, but it's this much, much deeper and more substantive thing of two lives so richly benefiting the other. Mm. And, and I think, uh, the community of the koinonia of the church is really meant to be something just like that. I remember right in the middle of this conflict talking to another pastor I just happened to meet and he said he had just gone through something very similar in his church. And, and what struck me is he, he said, yeah, that was about eight years ago. And now um, I could not love my church more. And hmm. he was describing just like, what am I doing here? And it's so hard. And I feel like it's, there's just so much friction and tension. And, and I would just, I mean, a similar thing. I mean, my honeymoon at Covenant lasted about six days. And then it just got hard for a long season. And I have such fondness and affection for the church. And I think it's that sticking it out. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. And in due time, God will bring the harvest. Like he says hmm. in Galatians, the harvest of our love comes forth and what's what's what blooms 
in the midst of a relationship where we stay in there with each other and we keep letting God have the last word, what blooms is far more beautiful than anything we'll know just in the relationships where it's easy because we see things just the same or we have the same favorite team or the same political outlook or whatever else. Mm-hmm. It's that rich koinonia mm-hmm. that, that fellowship is too thin and pale a word to yes. describe. Yeah. Yeah. Any final thoughts? Well, you know, there are all sorts of practical so let's do this things I think that come out of this section we just looked at and um, so the two that really come to mind are well I mean there's three there's one that goes with each of those Um, so going backwards through them hang in there when it's hard don't be done until God is done Um, let let him let you know when it's finished don't decide that for him do be uh, generous and faithful to make your resources available. God, many of the gifts and abilities God has given you, he actually gave to benefit somebody else in the church. Many of the financial resources, same thing. So how are you bringing those forward for that functional partnership? But then I think just for, for God to bring, to, to ask God to bring our love forward. I do think that the church should be a place. I think this is a place where we can learn from kids. Hmm. When I see kids that I know and who know me, they just throw themselves at me. They just run up and, and launch themselves in the air. I mean, during COVID, their parents are helping them learn a different approach. But <laughs> it's that kind of unabashed expression of joy and delight. Mm-hmm. How, what is an adult version of that we can give to each other? So, so we never walk away from an interaction where people go, huh, I wonder how that person really views me. You know, I think we ought to give each other the gift of saying, you are such a joy to me. I love you so much. And and I think there's a lot more of a place for that for us. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, David, for your time. Always a joy. Thank you. Always fun. Always a joy. Yeah. <laughs> and um, next week on Sunday, Rob is preaching. And so next week I'll be meeting with Rob and um, we'll see you later. Bye.